want to welcome everybody to this evening's Tomorrow Report. I'm so excited. Special report tonight, all the way around. Okay, but first, before we begin, i got to remind everybody, the views and opinions of the show are the thoughts of the host and guests and opinions. Don't calm down. Don't email me. I, I said I was going to read it, and I ad-libbed it. Calm down. Just remember, thoughts and opinions. Not medical advice either for somebody out there who needs to hear that tonight. My guest tonight is the returning champion to this program, Mark Anthony, and um, a newcomer, um, Anthony Profea. I want to welcome you both for being here. I'll, then I'll, I'll turn it to Mark. Mark, it's good to hear from you again. Thanks, uh, Jim. I always enjoy being on the Mallard Report. Uh, we always have good conversations, and tonight's an especially important one. Very timely. Anthony, I, I want to welcome you before... Um, I, I already promised you that we could get you back on to talk about what you do, but we're going to have a very special evening. Yes, thank you, Jim. I'm really excited. I appreciate you uh, welcoming us tonight and allowing us to uh, have this conversation and discussion here on your show. Thank you so much. So, it was Saturday, right? Was when it the, was, last, was last Thursday. Yeah, last, last Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, last 20, Thursday. July 23rd. These gentlemen set out to have a escape conversation titled No One is Born a Bigot. And I was actually excited to kind of just tune in because I wanted to learn a little bit more about Anthony to start with because I'm very versed in what Mark can talk about and he's been on this program a number of times. So I was excited to hear what they were talking about. And, of course, as life would have it, I was late. And then I realized that their Zoom call was hacked and not only hacked but ridiculously hacked. I don't know how far you guys want to get into all the details of all that, but... When I heard that, I realized that these two men needed a voice to present this No One Is Born a Bigot presentation they had scheduled. So immediately I turned to Mark and I said, call me. And within probably 10 minutes, we had everything figured out. So I, I give you the floor, Mark, to uh, start rattling anything else that you want to put out there. Well, sure. And and first off, um, the universe is one of balance. And we were overcome with, with really horrible darkness the other night because Anthony and I are going to be presenting No One Is Born a Bigot. And as Jim correctly pointed out, the the Zoom event was flooded by racists who then started blasting really graphic, incredibly offensive pornography and saying the most horrific racial slurs about hanging particular people by trees, using the N-word, saying bring racism back. And the really sad part, Anthony and I were talking about this later on, you could tell from their voices that these people were in their their late teens and their early 20s. And to hear young minds so flooded with anger and hatred, it, it was the darkness engulfed the show, but then the light appeared in the form of Jim Mallard, who said, bring this onto the Mallard Report and talk about it. And so, Jim, I really want to thank you for having Anthony and I on the show. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and doing doing this, because I, I, I do see value in it, and that's why we're here. So I, I think Anthony wants to lead off with what he was going to start with, right? Is that how I remember this going down a minute ago? <laughs> sure, yes. Uh, the way we had it planned was that a little bit of my background is um, I teach meditation now, but it was uh, I come out of the medical field where I was going to become a doctor. So I'm just going to talk about racism a little bit from a spiritual perspective as well as from the way our mind works. And, you know, we titled it No One is Born a Bigot because racism and prejudice is really a learned behavior. Uh, we can see this by looking at very young children. A young child will play with any kid without ever putting any thought into it. They don't contemplate if the other child is worthy. They don't ask or wonder what the other child's race, ethnicity, religion, faith, tradition, or political affiliation is. If you are raised in an environment in which you see everyone being treated the same, taught that everyone are equals, and never looked, judged, or given any reference to a person's skin color, religion, or anything else, then being raised in such an environment, you begin to view the world in a very different way than someone who might be told or shown that someone from a different race or with a different color of their skin or religion or gender is bad or inferior. And children are very impressionable. And in fact, as children, we are like sponges. And the lessons that we're taught and the things that we get indoctrinated with stick with us and get carried throughout our entire lives. 
But even if we're not raised in a particular household or environment where racism, sexism, or prejudice is being blatantly shown or expressed, there are certain tendencies that seem to be sort of the default human condition that make racism very easy to acquire, which is why any ism, racism, sexism, or anything else, is, isn't really only an American problem, but really a worldwide problem. And the two tendencies that make it easy to acquire a racist sort of mentality is tribalism and stereotyping. Now, tribalism is the tendency to identify yourself as part of a group and have an innate preference for that group and care about really your group or your tribe's well-being above all others. Now, if the circle of family and friends, the tribe that you're in, um, is of the same race of, or is of the same color, which is sometimes very common, it's easy for our brains to attach certain features to our tribe and then everyone who looks different is nearly automatically classified as the outsider or the other. Now, that by itself doesn't make us hate or reject others, but it does ma- mean that people are less likely to feel connected and affection to people who don't look like their group. And when you have to decide between the perceived good of your tribe and the perceived good of outsiders, by default, the mind naturally picks your group or your tribe. Now, stereotyping is another major factor, and our only defense for stereotyping is really to just become aware or mindful of it. Because our brains organize things in categories to make them easier to deal with and understand. And this happens all the time in a million different ways. You know, we judge things like, I don't like this or I like that. And then we broad brush life in such We don't like all foreign films because we saw one bad foreign movie or one subtitle movie. Or we say we prefer big cities to small towns. Or maybe we've heard or heard somebody say, you know, all Asians are intelligent or bad drivers or all blacks are criminals, all Middle Easterns are terrorists, all Italians are in the mafia. Or, you know, all artists are more with than no offense, Mark. You're a great <laughs> None taken. <laughs> I definitely enjoy hanging out with you. But what I'm trying to get at is that all of those are stereotypes that have become very prevalent within our culture. But it's not fair to lump all people into one category. There are always exceptions and nothing ever applies to all. You know, you probably have not seen every foreign film to say that you hate all foreign films because maybe you've seen one bad one. And you've probably never been to every small town to say you don't like small towns. And you've probably never spoken to a lawyer. But what we do is make statistical judgments based on our experience and then generalize that to the whole class in order to simplify things that our brain can handle. Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound very dangerous, but it does create very dangerous effects when the stereotypes are towards people or a specific nation, nationality, a gender, or a race, because the stereotypes can grow into hatred. Now, I grew up in a, um, well, I grew up in northern New Jersey, and I went to an all-boys Catholic Jesuit high school. And our, in our entire school of 700 kids, there were only about three or four black students in our school. And I saw firsthand sometimes the difficult days these kids had because of actions by some other students. And yet there were many of us in the school who tried to treat them always as equals and tried to intervene if we saw them ever getting bullied or harassed in any way. And I also know a friend in the opposite side of that coin who grew up in a very rough neighborhood, and he attended a school where he was part of a very small minority of white students. And being in this neighborhood with a lot of social problems, and there was a lot of violence and other kinds of intimidation, uh, he ended up constantly getting threatened and sometimes often beat up in the school. Now, as an adult talking to him, he understands completely that it's unfair and unacceptable to make assumptions about other people based on the color of their skin or anything else. Every person deserves to be treated as an individual and viewed on their own actions and merits and not be viewed or judged according to the actions and behaviors of another. And yet the natural thing to do, especially when you're young, 
is to group certain people together and assume that because of a past action, if someone of a certain race was unkind or hurt you or harmed you, then maybe it's not a good idea to um, associate with people of that race because then someone else of that race might also hurt you or harm you as the person in the past had. So by default, the brain's self-protection mechanism is to view from a past experience of something bad as, well, this can happen again. And that tendency is innate in our brains. It's the only way, and the only way to really be uh, able to overcome that is to really be aware of it and make the conscious decision to see and think about people not as a group, not as a race, but as individuals. And another issue with the mind is that by default, it has a fear of the other. It has a fear of the outsider. It has a fear of anything that's different. And in the history of the United States, which sometimes it's a very sad history, it's filled with many unfortunate, sad stories of horrific prejudice and racism. In fact, I go so far as to say that racism is probably our country's deepest and greatest wound and sickness. For throughout U.S. history, many different races were attacked, were murdered, and oppressed just for being different or just for being the other. And throughout our history, the group who were feared and hated one day may later be approved the next day, but only be replaced by another allegedly dangerous group, all under the guise of national security and the play of the media. We all know the long and very hard history of racism against against the black community. And my next few statements are not to downplay their suffering in any way whatsoever. But let us not forget that this country was built on the blood of Native Americans. And in our country's early history, the racist and tribal tendency of those who began to colonize this country began to murder and slaughter what they called the red-skinned, ungodly savages. And then in the late 19th century, anti-Asian racism spread throughout the nation and white Americans began xenophobic propaganda against the Chinese, calling them unclean and the yellow peril a group that was totally unfit for uh, citizenship and which actually led to the infamous Chinese Exclusion Act, the first law in the United States that barred immigration solely on race. In 1942, FDR signed the executive order of 9066, which incarcerated people under the fear of suspicion as enemies and those that we should fear. And this led to the arrest and increased racism against Germans, Italians, and a vast majority of the racism was directed against the Japanese because of their bombing of Pearl Harbor. And between the years 1870 to 1940, Italians were only second to the blacks in the numbers of lynching victims. And the largest mass lynching in U.S. history was not against the black community, but was actually against the Italian community taking place on March 14th, 1891, in the city of New Orleans. And if you go back and pull up any uh, articles during that time, the Washington Post actually praised the killers for what they did. And Theodore Roosevelt wrote in a letter to his sister Anna that, and I quote, what happened to the Dagos was what he thought a very good thing. And throughout the U.S. history, even anti-Irish racism ran high for a time when they weren't allowed to apply for any sort of jobs. After 9-11, anti-Muslim and Middle Eastern racism began to run rampant through our country. So the problem is that tribalism and stereotyping and the fear of the other just continues to become self-reinforcing. And if two groups have bad experiences with one another, they stereotype each other as bad and then teach their children or teach their friends that the other group is bad and that we should stay away from them. And the natural thing for children to do is embrace that tribal view and treat the members of the other group badly, which just reinforces the stereotype and causes the next generation to teach their children the exact same thing. And so on and on and on it goes. So while nobody is born a racist, sadly the way our brains and our perceptions work make it really easy for racism to take root. And until it's so woven within our culture and our personal perceptions, once it gets there, it's very difficult to get rid of it. And in my view, you know, really the only way to help is, one, education. 
education needs to be done uh, to on a broad scale. You know, our founding fathers stated that all men, and I change that to all people, are created equal. But not often do many people really grow up in environments that accept that view and praise that view. And until we recognize and deal with why people tend to think in certain ways and, you know, um, educate them to see that it's the same life force that's within each and every one of us, then not much is going to change. People's hearts and minds have to change. Laws are not going to change things because they cannot change the hearts and minds of people. Only we can change ourselves. And so that's why it's so important in my mind to educate educate our children and educate the up-and-coming generations, helping them to learn from the past, not override the past, you know, not try and remember it. But what needs to happen is the past needs to be remembered so that we can move forward and not make the same mistakes we did before. You know, another thing is to hold to our spiritual practices and perspectives if we have them, if we come out of a spiritual tradition, which says that, you know, each and every one of us are the same, all made in the image and likeness of God. And even if we don't come out of a spiritual tradition, a basic understanding of science will um, show us that we are all the same. For each and every one of us, regardless of our race, culture, or gender, recognizes that we are all of the same human family. We're all living on the same tiny rock in a very vast universe. Just some of us have more or less melanin in our skin, which is just really a genetic adaptation to protect us from the sun. But if you really think about it, the life that is in which each and every one of us, the life force that is animating us, that is moving us, that is the same. We all started out as a microscopic cell. That cell is the same within each and every person. Now, some of you out there might be saying, but wait a minute, there is differences. There's genetics and DNA. And I definitely give you that. But the life force, the conscious energy, which causes the cells to divide into the 15 trillion cells that grew into my body and your body, that life force is one and the same. That life energy is no different. That life is what I typically call and still call God. And that energy is within each and every one of us. And it's the same light behind my eyes that is the same light behind your eyes. And if we can look at that, and if we can see each other as being a spiritual being, who's having a physical experience rather than some physical being who was born on some country that is uh, whose lines were divided and created by man. If we can view each other in a light and as a soul being, we can move beyond the skin level and see the depth of the person. Keeping that in mind helps us to cultivate love for each other, compassion for each other, tolerance and understanding for each other. And I'll just leave you with this one quote from Nelson Mandela who said that no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can also learn to love. In fact, love comes more naturally to human heart than its opposite. So I truly thank you for allowing me to uh, share some of this with uh, you and your listeners tonight. And I hope that we can begin to educate one another that we're all in this together. We're all on the same planet. And, you know, until we decide to see each other as human beings or spiritual beings and get along as one human race, nothing's going to really change. Nothing's going to get better. Well, thank you for sharing. Mark. Thank you. Th- thank you, Anthony. That was beautiful. Thank you, Jim. This week, the United States is honoring civil rights icon, U.S. Congressman John Lewis, who died recently. John Lewis was the last of the six great civil rights activists, which included Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. John Lewis was known as the conscience of Congress, but he was more than just a politician or a civil rights activist. He showed us that raising your vibration above the negativity in the world isn't always easy. Lewis stood against racism, discrimination, and unfair laws against minorities. And for that, he was beaten and arrested. Many good people have been incarcerated, such as Jesus, St. Francis of Assisi, and Gandhi, to name a few. And like them, John Lewis showed us that a true leader and a person of faith is one who embraces peace and nonviolence 
in the opposition of injustice and racism, and to do that no matter what the cost. Racism is the belief that one race of people is superior to other races. It is based on prejudice, which means prejudging. In other words, you immediately jump to a negative conclusion about another person without knowing anything about him or her. In a court of law, that's known as assuming facts not in evidence. And assuming facts not in evidence is not only grounds for an objection, it isn't admissible in court as evidence. When you flood your mind with prejudice and dislike someone you know nothing about, you're assuming facts, not in evidence. It's one thing to talk about prejudice and bigotry in the abstract sense. It's another to see it up close and personal. Like my friend and colleague, Anthony Perfetta, I too was born in New Jersey. And when I was about two years old, my dad, who was an aerospace engineer, got a job. And so we moved to Florida because he needed to be near the Space Center. And when I was eight years old, we moved from Orlando to a sleepy seaside beach town on the barrier island of East Coast Central Florida. For a little kid like me, it was tropical paradise. Our house was just a block from the beach, and my siblings and I went swimming and surfing every chance we got. The house next door to us, it was this really cool old two-story Florida house. It was made out of Florida pine and cedar, and uh, it kind of had that eerie, almost haunted house look until one day, uh, a single mother, her name was Joanne, she moved in with her son and two daughters. The kids were about my age, and they were good neighbors, and I became close friends with her children. We played together, and not long after that, Joanne started dating an African-American man. He was a really nice guy. They loved each other. They seemed really happy. Being from the city, my parents' philosophy was that if someone else's relationship worked, well, then it was no business of ours. In other words, my parents, you know, they taught us, hey, they're happy. It's none of our business. Couldn't care less. But apparently, that line of thought was not shared by others in our community. It was a Friday night in July. It was about 11.30 p.m. at night. I'd already been a, gone to sleep, and my parents had just turned in for the night. And suddenly... Every window in our home blazed with this bright orange light as explosions shattered the serenity of the summer night. My parents leapt to their bedroom window, pulled back the curtains, and stared in horror. A 14-foot wooden cross was burning on our neighbor's lawn. It was made of telephone pole sections and wrapped in burlap lined with firecrackers so that as it burned, it, it, it was covered in explosions. The KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, had struck a message of hatred and intolerance for everyone to see. That cross burned brightly in the darkness, but it was the darkness that it symbolized that was burned into my memory. And all my nine-year-old self could ask was why. And then last Thursday, when my friend Anthony Profeta and I wanted to present this forum on racial harmony that no one is born a bigot we were viciously and unnecessarily attacked when hackers flooded the zoom meeting with horrific racial comments and slurs and all my adult self could ask was why Jean-Paul Sartre was an existentialist philosopher who lived in France during the Nazi occupation he wrote extensively about prejudice, and in his book, Anti-Semite and Jew, he explained that prejudice is a disease which enters the body through the mind. Sartre also explained that prejudice is a tool used to blame problems on minorities. In other words, the German Nazis under Adolf Hitler blamed the Jews for all of Germany's economic and social problems. Prejudice, fear, and hatred against the Jews became a unifying force for the Nazis. As Anthony explained in his talk, there's nothing new about this. He called it tribalism. Other people call it the us versus them syndrome, and it's been with us since the dawn of time. It has its roots in fear, and people fear the unknown. Imagine living in prehistoric times, and the tribe of Trog 
is all alone in a bountiful valley until the arrival of the tribe of Og. The members of the Og tribe look and act different. The tribe of Og immediately jumps to the conclusion that the tribe of Trog is inferior because they're different. Well, prejudice is easy. It takes very little intelligence, but does require a lot of energy. The brain operates on electrical impulses. Negative thoughts like fear, dislike, and hatred are the result of negative energetic impulses which vibrate at a lower frequency. When you don't know someone or take the time to learn about that person's situation or racial or ethnic background, it causes fear. Fear leads to anger, which leads to hatred, which leads to violence. That's a lot of negative energy generated in the mind. But what do I know about prejudice? I mean, come on, I'm a white guy. I've heard people say, well, what do you know about prejudice? You're a white guy and, and you're a lawyer, so you have to have you know white privilege. The truth is, the us versus them syndrome is everywhere. And no matter who you are, I can take you somewhere in the world where people will be prejudiced against you simply because of what you are. And that happened to me when I was spending time in Japan. I was over there for, for quite some time. And you know, I'm a pretty big guy. You know, I'm, I'm almost 6'2", and uh, I was walking down the streets in Japan, and I noticed that women would clutch their purses as I walked by. People would give me a wide berth. And, you know, if you've ever been in Tokyo or Kyoto, those are pretty crowded cities. And, and, I, and it was funny because I'd walk down the street, and sort of the crowd would part, and I'd get these looks from people, looks of fear. I remember I walked into a bookstore because they had Japanese books that had been translated into English, and I wanted to, to get a couple books. And I bought one, and as I was going out the, the front of the store, this uh, this man was walking in, and he froze in horror and terror as he looked up at me, and I could see he was shaking. And I stepped aside, and I, I bowed, and I said, Konnichiwa, which means hello, and I, I yielded the way to him, and I could see this look of relief on his face. And when I got back to the States, I was telling a friend of mine who was African-American what had happened. He said, well, now you know what it's like. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's what it's like for me all the time. I walk down the street, white women clutch their purses. People look at me in fear. Everyone thinks I'm some type of criminal, that I'm going to attack them. And, and it, it, it dawned on me that I had finally experienced for a limited period of time with so many people in this country and in other countries experience all the time. So how do we raise our vibration to overcome prejudice and the us versus them syndrome? I call it R, A-R-R. Yeah, it's like the pirate R. And it's A-R-R, acknowledge, recognize, replace. Here's how this works. When a prejudice thought comes into your mind, and it can happen anywhere, seeing a news story, seeing someone of a different race, religion, or ethnicity, or just when you're free associating and thinking, and you start letting these thoughts of prejudice and dislike for someone different flooding your mind. Well, this is when you implement R. A, acknowledge. Acknowledge that you're having this negative thought, this prejudiced feeling. Don't avoid it. Acknowledge. This is what's happening to me. Recognize. This is created by your mind and this negative thought is clouding your perception with a negative view of another person and then replace replace that thought with neutrality start saying i can't judge someone i don't know i have no reason to feel the way i do i don't know what their circumstances are so acknowledge that you're having the thought recognize what it's doing to you, that it's clouding your perception with negativity, and then replace it with a neutral thought. Now, seeing R in action brings me to Daryl Davis. He's an African-American blues musician, and Daryl has a very unusual hobby. He befriends members of the Ku Klux Klan. And for Daryl, it's all about prejudice being a thing of the mind. And as Daryl explained, initially, Bigots feel that if you're not white, you're inferior. They believe that black people have smaller brains and that we're incapable of higher achievement. So he met this one Klansman, and they kind of became friendly. They were driving in a car together. And while Daryl was driving, he asked the Klansman, so why do you hate black people? 
And the Klansmen replied, well, we all know that black people have within them a gene that makes them violent. Daryl said, wait a minute. I'm as black as anybody you've ever seen. I've never done a carjacking or a drive-by. How do you explain that? Klansman didn't even pause. He said, your gene is latent. It just hasn't come out yet. And Daryl thought about it for a moment and said, well, we all know that all white people have a gene within them that makes them a serial killer. And the Klansman said, what? What do you mean? Well, name me three black serial killers. Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, John Wayne Gacy, all whites. Son, you're a serial killer. But Daryl, the Klansman implored, I've never killed anybody. Daryl said, yeah, but your gene is latent. It hasn't come out yet. Well, that's stupid, the Klansman exclaimed. You're right, Daryl replied. What I said was stupid, but no more stupid than what you said to me. Klansman got very quiet, and he changed the subject. Five months later, there was a knock on Daryl's door. He opened it, and there was the Klansman, except he handed Daryl something. It was his robe and his hood. He said, Daryl, I've quit the KKK, and to prove it, I'm giving you my robe and my hood. No one is immune from prejudice, but we all can change our thinking. Acknowledge that you had the negative thought. Recognize it is a negative thought and replace it with a neutral thought. Jesus taught us, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of a world where one day people would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. When you stop and think about these lessons, it's really easy to say, but it's a lot harder to do. And you may think that, sure, social change will come. It'll come about eventually. And, and I, I suppose that eventually racism and bigotry will fade away, but not in my lifetime. And if you feel that way, then I invite you to remember the words of John Lewis. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? I just want to leave that hang there for a minute. I wasn't sure if you were done or not, but um, I thought that was a good pause there to re let us give us give us a second there to reflect. Thank well, you, you know, first, it, it, thank you, Mark, for that. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's important. You know, John Lewis was such a unique individual. Um, at age 22, he got his head beaten in on the Pettus Bridge uh, in Selma, Alabama which uh, was named after a Civil War general. I understand there's legislation being proposed to change the name of it to the John Lewis Bridge. And, you know, when you put yourself out there, you're going to get attacked. Um, you know, Anthony and I, were, we, we, got, we got attacked by these, you know, ridiculous cyber hackers, but it's not like we got our head beaten in on the, uh, the Samuel Pettus Bridge in Selma. But the thing is, we have to have this discussion and, and John Lewis was right. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And, and we start with ourselves, ourselves and our family, and we have to stop this, this thinking. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about changing ourselves, but how do we go about um, taking this to the masses? What would be the best way to start uh, having this conversation with others? Well, I, I think it's already in motion. I think the people are out there. I mean, we're seeing streets filled with uh, protesters in the wake of the death of George Floyd. Um, the sad part is it's being politicized. I mean, the fact of the matter is, do you want to be on the right or the wrong side of history? Every intelligent person knows, like Anthony correctly pointed out, we're all the children of God. We all have the same life force, the same energy the same consciousness. In other words, we're not our bodies. We're in these bodies. Think of your body like a car. And just because you drive a red Ferrari doesn't mean you're better than someone that drives a blue Ford Escort. Okay, because we're not the car. 
car or was in the car. And, and that's that's the lesson that we got to keep getting out there. So I think, Jim, a good first step is is a forum like you've you've given us tonight to have us on your show. Anthony, what do you think? Uh, I agree. Um, forums like this where people can have open discussions, where people aren't talking at one another but talking with each other is a very powerful thing um, because then the message can get out and people can see and hear that, you know, people can come together even if they have, you know, different perspectives, different point of views, they can still get along with each other. You know, not everybody has to, um, you know, be the same or like a cookie cutter of the other person. We're all individuals, but forums and platforms where people can have these sort of interfaith dialogues, uh, discussions on racial harmony is needed more than ever because sadly in today's world, um, people, it's, it's us versus them for many people. And as soon as you're of a different opinion or a different thought or a different something from another person, they're automatically have tuned you out and not even listening to you. So we need platforms where people can be open, open hearted, open minded and discuss, um, civilly these very important topics with each other. I, I totally agree, and I just want to tell everybody in, on the duck pond, which is the chat room, that uh, I'm going to be taking some questions for these gentlemen. I have some questions already coming in, and i got some of my own, so as I look at the clock, get them coming, because if you want to get them in, you better get them here, because uh, <laughs> the host in me is going to take over now that I've uh, I've sat and waited for 30 minutes to talk about some of these things. Um, I, I wonder... Maybe this is not the right question, but how much of this this is does sounds very politically incorrect, but it's not meant to be. How much of this is timing due to COVID? Because we kind of sat back and kind of sat still for so long in most parts of the country, and then it kind of just seemed like it exploded all at once. Uh, that's a very good question. I think the COVID pandemic has brought out everything that's wrong in this country. Um, the the divisiveness, the the lack of unity, the lack of leadership, but it's also it's very frustrating. Millions of people are out of work. People are angry. And while I'm I'm not s- suggesting that we're going to degenerate into a Nazi Germany situation, think about when um, Hitler came to power. Uh, Germany was in economic uh, default. Uh, there was political divisiveness. There were uh, people that were just so desperate and angry. Same thing before Napoleon came to power in France. Uh, There had been a revolution. The economy was falling apart. Uh, There was political divisiveness. And so I think as a people, we're stronger than our problems. Um, but COVID has put so much stress on everybody that all of the underlying tension has been intensified. That's that's what I'm seeing about this. But it's also an opportunity. It is an opportunity to address and to start affecting these changes. I don't see us turning into the Republic of Kumbaya overnight, or maybe we'll never get there. And Anthony brought up a, a very interesting point. You know, we're all different. We're all diverse. And we're supposed to be. I mean, if we, you know, if we weren't, we'd all be like a school of fish. Same size, same color, reacting to everything the same way. Diversity doesn't mean that we all have to, um, it, 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 it have to be the same. What it means is don't hate people because they're different. Right. Do you have anything Absolutely. you want to add, Anthony? I definitely uh, think that co- the COVID situation, as Mark just said, brought things to to a head because um, it definitely it changed people's lives overnight. Everything that they were, you know, working for every day, everything that their life was all about, their job, their finances, their family, whatever it was, was taken away from them. Maybe at the snap of a finger, you know, the job isn't there, income isn't there. And now um, people are living really today in a state of heightened anxiety, heightened fear, and heightened stress. And it's come to a boiling point with COVID 
um, because it was months that people have been going through this. So what happens is now people are seeing what's going on around them and anything that is um, an issue becomes a major issue. And I definitely think the timing of COVID did add to a lot that was happening with the racial tension, but I definitely think it's something that needed to come to light and has been slowly coming to light before COVID, but I think COVID really gave it the time to percolate and brew. Um, I also believe that, as Mark wisely said, COVID is giving us an opportunity. You know, it, it's it's basically like a, the hard reset button on a computer. We've done a hard reset with society, and now we're taking a look at society and saying, where do we want to be headed and what direction do we want to go in the future? Okay, people can't keep saying, I can't wait to go back to the way that things were. Well, we're not supposed to be going back. We're not supposed to be looking backwards. We're supposed to be going forward. So right now, it's an opportunity for us to progress, to evolve, and say, what society do we want to be moving into and take the steps that are needed to bring that about, to manifest that? I agree. You know, I've always looked at. The, I, know, I want the future to be Star Trek. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's Blade Runner. <laughs> so, Anthony, I, I've got a. Uh, well, the uh, spook cat from the chat room made this point, so I'm going to just make this point, and uh, as Mark will tell you, that I don't necessarily always ask questions, so I'm just going to make the point and let you uh, follow up with whatever thoughts you have afterwards. Uh, racism is not necessarily a United States problem; it's international and. That's part of the reason I'm glad that we're able to do this on the internet so it can go to the hundred and some odd countries that my show gets listened to in. Well, of course, and, and that's why I brought up the story about Japan. You know, first off, let me say, I absolutely love Japan. I love the people. I love the art, the food, the culture. I mean, it's, the, you know, I remember um, the friend I was visiting there, he was teaching English to Japanese executives. And uh, he was good. He he was good, like because he spoke well enough to where he understood the slang. And um, he said, "What do you find? What do you find? Um, uh, what what's the one thing that impressed you most about Japan?" I said, "How beautiful it is! Uh, how absolutely beautiful!" And so then we headed off on this trek, and we ended up in Southeast Asia. We were in Thailand. And we were staying at a hotel in Bangkok, and it had a swimming pool, and it was really hot. I mean, it's always, you know, Thailand, it's always hot. It's like 110 that day. And so we're in the pool, and the Thais were there, and then a, a, a group of these Japanese businessmen, there was four of them, and they got in the pool. And when, when, um, when Billy swam by them, one of them said in Japanese, all these filthy gaijin. He said it in Japanese. Now, gaijin is an interesting word because essentially it means foreigner, but if you call someone gaijin, it's the equivalent of the N-word. If you say gaijin-san, that means the honorable foreigner, and it takes it out of that context. Mm -hmm. And so Marty swam back by them after they said that and said in perfect Japanese, the water is warm today, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 he told me what he was going to do, and he said that the looks on these Japanese guys' faces because they realized that you know they they were you know, being this way. And I'm not saying in, in uh, that that all Japanese people are racist, but what I'm saying is that when you're an out group, and let's face it, you know America used nuclear weapons on Japan. There's a lot of people there that aren't really thrilled with us, but um, but wherever you go. People will, people will dislike you. Somebody, somewhere, you're going to go. People will dislike you, and and racism is not an American problem. It's a world problem. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine, who's a professor, and he teaches um, uh, diversity diversity training, and he's African American. And he said, "Don't think because we're all from Mother Africa that all black people like each other." He said, "In the states, the northern blacks look down on the southern blacks." He goes, and then. He said, um, you get a black person from Africa, oh, they think who they are. And then he goes, and then everybody hates the Jamaicans. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and he was saying, yeah, he says, you know, it doesn't matter. He goes, prejudice is everywhere. It's rampant. And it is a very tribal, it's a very us versus them syndrome. It's a very primitive thing. And as we become more educated and intellectual, 
it should be one of the things we're unlearning. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And, and in fact, when I, um, when I was talking earlier, I said, you know, when it comes to the default state of mind, because of tribalism, you know, racism isn't just an American problem, but it's a worldwide problem because it's always the identification of me and my group and then the other and the fear of the other. So it's mind looks at the around it and tries to, to, you know, we are a social society and we try to find a community that we uh, that we belong to or fit in with. Or we like to, you know, we try to find our tribe, which is like a sort of popular saying today. And um, that it's been that way forever. You know, the tribalism is an innate part of human nature and the way we look at the world. And so it, the, the mind really needs to be changed from that tribalistic view to one that sees more globally. I think it was Socrates who identified himself not as a citizen of Greece, but a citizen of the world. And that's really more what we need to begin to view ourselves as, as not just me and my community or me and my tribe or, you know, me and my nation, but we're all on the same planet together. The lines that were drawn in the sand on a map, they're not there if you look from space. You know, there's, there is no countries you know, man has made countries when, with the greed and the power and the territory and, you know, setting up their lines to say, this is mine and this is my country. But all of us are the same. And until we begin to see each other as a human, one human family or one spiritual family on the deepest level, you know, we, it's hard to get over that tribalistic view. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh. That was bad. Um, guess I timed it right, though. Um, Mark, this question is more for you, but Anthony, obviously you could probably twist it somehow, and if you want to answer it, go ahead. If not, we'll move on. But um, there's a certain amount of legislation and all this other stuff that is being um, prepared out there to pay reprobations for the actions of 150 years ago. Now, Mark, being the attorney present here, let's just kind of put your, your ball cap back on for a second. Isn't this a very dangerous precedent to set? going back 150 years and trying to make something right? Uh, say that again? Well, the, the, pay, pay, there's uh, growing support for paying reparations. Oh, uh, paying reparations? Yeah, easy word for me to um, say. Yeah, well, you know, um, I heard about one of the reparations bills not giving cash payments to people, but rather setting aside funding, uh, like startup funding for minority-owned businesses. And I thought that that made a lot more sense than handing out cash to people. Um, you know, because if you look at it this way, and, and I'm sure people will disagree with me, um, just about every ethnic group could make some claim for discrimination. I mean, my family, uh, a part of it is of Italian descent, and the reason that we left, my, fam my forebears left Italy, is because they were starving. They were literally starving to death. It's the same reason why the Irish came here. I mean, you didn't leave your piazza in Tuscany overlooking your olive groves and your vineyard to go live in the slums of New York City and become essentially slave labor, um, nor did people want to leave the, the beautiful green countryside of Ireland, uh, but for the fact that they, they were, were starving, and then they got here and were treated uh, horribly. I mean, there used to be an ad that would say, you know, uh, they're looking for an employment, and then they'd write Nina. No Irish need apply. And then there would also be, and, and in my life, I've had people make horrible slurs against me, other white people, because I was of Italian descent. And uh, it, it's just, it, it's just ridiculous. And the reparations payments, instead of wallowing in the past, you know, because people say, you did this to us. No, I didn't do anything to anybody. I'm here, you're here. And if we all trace our family trees back, I would venture to say pretty much most ethnic groups have been indentured servants, possibly slaves, and horribly oppressed by other peoples to the point where they could claim reparations. I think let's start creating opportunities for people who've been historically uh, discriminated against as opposed to cash settlements for individuals. 
Yeah, I think I think that's probably the best way to go. So we've got about ten minutes left, and I've got I've got to throw the lightning rod into this conversation at this point. Maybe probably the most uncomfortable that I'm going to get here. Um, professional sports and all of the the kneeling and all of that. Now, there's obviously two schools of thoughts: the people that appreciate the the activity, and the other people that are saying, "I tune into sports to get away from politics." I can see it both ways, but I think again, sports are normally the place to go to conversate, to start conversations about these type of things. So, can we push that back to the middle, or am I just dreaming again? Anthony, what are your thoughts on that one? My thoughts is no matter what someone does, you're never going to please everyone in the world. So um, there's always going to be people who are going to take one side against the other. So if there's kneeling at a game, there are definitely going to be people that are going to say, hey, you know what? He's doing the right thing because he's got the platforms, he's got the TV, he's got a thousand, a few thousand people in the stands, and so he's getting his message out or their message out to a large group of people. But then there's other people that are going to say, hey, you know what? This I Like you said, my, my sports time is my time to get away from what's going on in the world and just be you know, focused on some entertainment and some fun. Uh, so I also can see both sides. Um, and I can see that, you know, in, in life, no matter what we do, if we stand up for something, there's always going to be someone that's against it. And if we, there's always going to be someone that's for it. And no matter what platform or where we decide to make that stand, there's always going to be people on opposite sides of it. So if I say if you're coming from your heart and you're standing up for a cause that you truly believe in, then take any opportunity you can to um, to to do that. Yeah, as long as it's nonviolent, and, and I know that that's what you meant. Because <laughs> yeah, well, well, a lot of people, you know, this this armed militia. Um, I, I have no problem with the protests. I have a lot of problems with looting, uh, burning, and blatant disrespect for the police. Yes, what happened to George Floyd was reprehensible, horrible, must not be tolerated, and I believe that um, police techniques need to be modified. Um, Look at the, we all know about Miranda rights. Okay, every cop show that you watch, and for those of you out there who may have been arrested, when you're arrested and the police want to interrogate you, they have to read your Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. Okay, we've all heard that. That came out of the United States Supreme Court case, Miranda versus Arizona. And I believe his name was Enrique Miranda. He was basically a thug murderer. Um, he killed somebody, and the police essentially beat a confession out of him, rubber hosed it out of him. Long story short, goes all the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court says a confession must be voluntary and after somebody is informed of their constitutional rights, which have become known as Miranda rights. And the result of the Miranda decision, because law enforcement at the time was like, oh, gosh, look what they're doing to us. What it did is it it enhanced and improved the training of police officers. It implemented new forms of questioning technique that didn't involve violence. And in the long run, it was better for the police. And I think that the outgrowth of George Floyd, I think there's going to be a similar effect here, that there's going to be better training, um, more understanding of people maybe with um, emotional problems and and uh, certain types of behaviors, maybe um give the police a pause before they immediately employ the chokehold. I mean, like if you're in a street fight and someone's trying to kill you, uh, I, you know, don't tie the hands behind the cop's back, okay? But there needs to be a completely different approach. Conversely, the African-American community and the Latino community and, and any minority community, the leaders of those communities need to be having dialogues with law enforcement and local government and so that these groups... Stop perceiving law enforcement as the enemy and vice versa. 
This is not something that's going to change overnight. The Miranda decision did not change things overnight. It took time, and I believe this can too. And this is all part of what, what Anthony and I are talking about. The United States is supposed to be a melting pot, but it's starting to look more and more like a salad bar because, well, we're this group. We don't want you part of this. We're this. Oh, we're tomatoes. We don't like cucumbers. All right, this, you know, the beautiful thing about a salad is like a garden full of flowers, and flowers are beautiful, and God delights in a wondrous variety of flowers, and we're all equal and all beautiful and all different, and we have to start realizing this and getting back to this. And I know that that sounds altruistic and esoteric and, and uh, you know, even on boarding on airy ferry. but the truth of the matter is if we're going to survive as a species, we have to realize that planet Earth is the only place we have to live and that we'd better start getting along and learning not to hate each other just because somebody looks different than you do. So we've got four minutes left, so I've got two questions, so bear with me here. But the, the first one's kind of easy. In five years, how do, you, how, how do we, if we come back and revisit this, how, how do we hope this all goes in the big picture, airy-fairy style? Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we think it's going to go in five years? Yeah. Well, um, I'm an incurable optimist, although life experiences taught me many times to to be the opposite i think that the horror of george floyd and uh, the others who've perished um at the hands of, of police brutality and i know a lot of cops and 99.9 percent .9 of them are not um not uh negative people okay I, I i've had my life saved by police officers on more than one occasion i also think that uh, there will be treatments for COVID that it'll be brought under control. I think in five years, if we change our direction and our focus, I think we're going to be in a better place than we are now. Yeah, like Mark, I'm also the, and I try to remain an optimist, even though if you look back, like you're saying, through the years of my life or the years of just society in general, it seems that. In, you know, not much has changed except maybe the technology, the clothes and everything else. But I truly believe that now more and more conversations like this are happening. I believe more and more people are getting behind the notion that we need to come together. And I truly believe that, you know, if more people do begin to view each other on the philosophy that this country was built upon, that all men and all people, rather than all men, all people are created equal – and if we truly begin to bring that into our hearts and minds, that moving forward in five years, we can, you know, turn this into the airy-fairy utopian society. But people, people need to – the change starts with themselves. You have to want to change your own heart and mind. And then by that change, uh, it spreads throughout the communities that we live in. There's a Sufi mystic Rumi who once said, you know, I was so once so clever – that I w wanted to change the world, but now I'm so wise, I decided to change myself. And that's where it needs to start. It all starts with each and every one of us. So we've got about a minute left. So 30 seconds, Anthony, where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me at anthonyprofeta.com um, on Facebook, on, so on uh, Instagram, and other social media platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you, And Anthony. you can find me... You can find me at evidenceofeternity.com, which is the same as my last book, Evidence of Eternity. And you can book a um, telephone reading with me. And if you mention Jim Mallard and the Mallard Report uh, in the application for a phone reading, you will receive a reduced fee reading. And that's at evidenceofeternity.com. Please sign up for my newsletter and follow me on social media all through my website, evidenceofeternity.com. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. I, I hope some of my listeners take you up on that. Uh, this has been a powerful presentation this evening, so I'm glad I'm glad we were able to connect on all this, and uh, I'm glad we did it. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you for for uh, coming to our rescue when we were under attack by a bunch of uh, people with computer skills yet low functioning brainwaves. <laughs> and for all the visitors tonight who have tuned in to make this uh, special appearance for them, I hope they come back next week. I hope they subscribe and, and follow along. And 
um, check out all the other Mark Anthony interviews that he's done in the past, oh, nine years. Can you believe wow. that, Mark? Nine years we've been doing these things together. And it seems like yesterday. I look forward to the next one, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, everybody, have a good evening, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you all soon. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.